Hello and welcome to the Let's Talk podcasts. This is your host, Susie Lewis, speaking from Toulouse. And this episode of Let's Talk, we will be talking about transformation and the place of data-driven organizations in today's world. I am delighted to welcome Peter Jackson, specialist in data strategy, data technologies, master data management strategies, GDPR and data governance frameworks. Peter, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Good morning. Morning. Peter, you're passionate about data and how it can drive innovation and transformation in organizations, uh, which is a subject we totally share a passion for and actually is how we connected. You take a strategic approach to data and work on this daily as the director of group data sciences at Legal and General, and before this as the chief data officer at Southern Water. But you are also director of Carruthers and Jackson, which has developed data talks and the CDO summer schools. And you have co-authored three books now, the Chief Data Officer Playbook, Data Driven Business Transformation, and a second edition of the Chief Data Officer Playbook, which is considered as a new book. It's evolved so much. So that's a long list. So congratulations, first of all, on all your books. I would like to come back to the books. What inspired you to write those books? It was really a chance meeting with Caroline Carruthers, who who was my co-author. We were Mm. both presenting at a conference in London, a data conference in London. And Caroline had uh, just completed her first 100 days as the chief data officer of Network Rail in the UK. Uh And I had just completed, I think, my first three months as head of data at the pensions regulator in the Mm UK. In a coffee break, Caroline and I were looking at each other and we were talking about data and our roles. And I think I said to Caroline, wouldn't our jobs be easier if there was a book on how to do this? <laughs> and, and at that point, the conversation kind of stopped. And we both said, well, why don't we write the book? Rapidly, we felt that there was the, our colleagues and our peers felt exactly the same, that, mm-hmm. that sharing our collective experience, bringing together what we were experiencing and what we were seeing would be helpful for our data community. Mm-hmm. In fact, the what really spurred us on then was we decided to test the water and we wrote a series of 14 articles on LinkedIn and published them each week mm-hmm. um, just to see if our, our feelings were right, that people would respond to these, that they would find them helpful. And we were overwhelmed by the response. And mm-hmm. that was the point in which we said, let's take these articles, let's let's add more examples to them, let's, let's expand them and, and publish the book. Mm-hmm. That was really the motivation. We wanted to help our community, help other people who are faced with the same issues and challenges and opportunities that we Mm. were. And it was really an amazing experience. It was really just a flow of consciousness of all of them and of all the presentations and things that that we've been involved with over the last three years. That was the easiest one to write. It was such a flow of consciousness. And do you think that was the easiest one to write because nothing was written about it? Yes. Well, on the one hand, it was easy to write because we weren't comparing ourselves uh, or, or there was nothing in the in the market before yeah. us. Yeah. But also it was unnerving thinking, I think anybody who's written a book um, will know that you're putting yourself out there to be judged. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that was, that was quite an unnerving experience. I've never been there before. Yeah. And that's why we were we were overwhelmed by the responses first to the LinkedIn articles, but then to the book itself. And and it is it, in that sense, it's very, very close to our heart. So when the publisher asked us if we felt there was some the potential for a revised or a second edition, we said yes. It's it's a great way, though, isn't it, of providing value and, and also creating a place where you can share experiences. And 
we always talk about how quickly digital transformation moves and how quickly technology moves. And I think the fact that the second edition is almost a different book or is a different book is indicative of just how quickly this subject moves. If I look at the role of a chief data officer, which needs to grow and evolve daily, that must look like a different role today than when you wrote the book in 2017. Oh, absolutely. And and there's, there's two parts to, to that little bit of conversation there. The mm. one is that, you know, the how data has changed and, and, and its position in an organisation. Yeah. We always said that people were beginning to understand the difference between data and digital, the hand in hand, mm-hmm. um, but there is a difference between them. There is a difference between a chief digital officer and a chief data officer. And I think we've also seen how we're all talking about data now. Now, whether a couple of years ago it was around Cambridge Informat- um, Cambridge Analytica yeah. or whether we're now talking about COVID data, and look at the, yeah. the, the deconstruction everybody's done on the graphs that we saw yeah. last Saturday night in the UK. Yeah. We're all very much more data aware um, that is around there. And I think that we've all agreed in the profession that things were getting faster. Change was getting faster. It wasn't, change was happening, but it was happening quicker. And I think with COVID-19, it's happening even faster, yeah. both the digital and data, the, the necessity to have access to data more and more quickly and to different data and to bigger data. Oh, I hate mm. that term, perhaps they say more <laughs> and varied data. Yeah. So people can make really important decisions very, very quickly. Yeah. And and that, that's really important. I think the other thing that you mentioned there was the role of the chief data officer changing. And I think that now think back to the first organization where I had held my first permanent role for many years as, as head of data. They now have a chief data officer. So within mm. that organization, the role of data has elevated within the hierarchy, has elevated in, in the strategic importance of the organization. And I think that that evolution of the chief data officer is going to go on. You're going to see more and more of them in more senior positions. And you're going to see, I think, and we were talking about this before we started the recording, we're going to see some of perhaps that the job changing, evolving from more talking about data governance and good data into data intelligence and insight. And I think in a way that's kind of reflected in my job title at Legal in general, being group director of data sciences rather than group CDO. Yes. So I want to come back to that. But before I do, I just want to backtrack a little bit to Mm -hmm. your distinction between data and digital. And for our listeners, I think this is pivotal and very interesting to understand what the distinction is for you between digital and data. Okay, it's an unmitigated plug. I'll I'll apologise for the noises in the background. We've got a dog barking and we've got the the painter scraping the window outside. So uh, if you hear any background noise, I'm really sorry, but that's life as it is now. Lockdown Um, life. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. It makes it sound real, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, So I, I think that that's fascinating, the difference between data and digital. Here's the unmitigated plug for the second book. The first <laughs> chapter talks about that difference. But I think that what we need to unpack as well is that people talk about digitalization, they mm. talk about digitization, and they talk about digital, and they talk about data. Now, those three on the left-hand side are all very different. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of business people, people in the line of business who aren't the, the technology, digital or data experts, lump it all together and don't really understand what the subtle differences are. Mm. So I think it is really important to understand what these three and four things are, if you mm. go across into data. The simple difference for me between all of that digital stuff and the data is that digital is about platform. 
Right. Digital's about engaging with your customers, your, your business partners, your regulators, or your internal audiences on a digital platform. In other words, rather than shoving a piece of paper around, you're interacting with a, a digital platform, and transactions are through a digital platform. Okay. Now, for me, that's all about the digital piece. Mm-hmm. None of that works without the data inside it. And Mm -hmm. so you need the data disciplines to actually provide that governed, trusted data, perhaps with the insights, perhaps with the time series analysis and time series data set for for the customer to view, what were my orders? There's no Mm. point in going to what my orders page on Amazon if the data's not there. Clearly, clearly. So, so for me, no, that's a very simple example between mm. between the two. What is the difference? For me, digital is about the platforms, and, and that is really important to build the platform and the user experience and the imagery and the colours and the journeys mm. in the right way. Mm. That has to be fired by data. And if you separate the two, or if you build the one, you build the brand new shiny without the data, it's completely worthless. Mm. Okay, thank you. Thank you for that. I just wanted to make that distinction because I think digital has become a a buzzword, so to speak, and and people put their own definitions behind it. And I think the importance of data, you know, we talk a lot about leaders need to get more data savvy, which they do. But where does that fit into the larger transformation picture? So thank you for that. I would like to come back to the role of of the chief data officer and and how it's changing from data governance to, to data intelligence. So what does that mean for leadership and governance of an organization? I think it means that organizations are, are, are perhaps have got or feel they've got a lot of their, their data governance work, if not completed, at least underway. And I think the biggest driver for that across Europe was GDPR. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always say that GDPR was a huge boon for those of us in data. It <laughs> started risk committees and uh, executive mm. committees and boards talking mm. about data mm. and, and needing to have it explained to them why data was a risk and mm. what that meant. Mm. And, oh, you know, a number of conversations I was in, I didn't know we held that sort of data. I mean, <laughs> so, you know, it, started, it prompts those kinds of conversations and it released budget. So I think a lot of organizations feel that they've started that journey and they understand more about their data risk mm. and they understand the importance of governance because you're going to govern PII data, personally identifiable information. And it start, you start to ask, well, surely we should govern our financial data. Surely we should mm. govern our regulatory data and start mm. the right conversations. So I think that now people are shifting to the other way. Slightly. I mean, the conversation around machine learning and artificial intelligence and customer insight and kind of stuff is going to promote that conversation. But I think people are now realizing, okay, if if we want to use data as an asset and we actually want to leverage value from it, we now need to start thinking about the data science end of it and whether that's um, making our management information or our business intelligence smarter, quicker, harder, Mm. or whether we start getting into predictive or prescriptive analytics, which is where people really want to go. That's the journey. That's the journey I think a lot of organizations are on. There will always be some some looking back and some retrofitting saying, you know, can we really do this? Can we trust what we're doing here? Mm. If we haven't got this data fully governed, we don't trust it completely. But I think there is a shift. If I'm hearing correctly, the GDPR discussion around understanding what data organizations hold and how they manage it do you think that was the sort of catalyst for the creation of the chief data officer role i think it was a perfect storm i think that was i I think that that was one of the catalysts Mm. but i think there were other catalysts at the same time i think there were there were you know the rise of of google and amazon and netflix and uber uh, airbnb people realized that there were these organizations that were fundamentally founded on data and I think that retail for a long time has, has, has focused on customer and customer intent and, and next best action. Mm. 
based on data. So I think that all of these things coming together at the same time, I think with a few loud voices and you know, there are there are some great examples around people like uh, Katia Walsh, who's now at Levi Strauss, people like that who are talking about data 10 years ago and were leading their organizations in that way, they were suddenly listened to and their actions and their words were having impacts, massive impacts on organizations. So mm. Before Levi Strauss, Katia was a, a global CDO at Vodafone. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, people in the right place at the right time with the right catalyst, with budget being released, I think it was it was for us. It was a perfect storm. I I am incredibly grateful that I happened to be in the right place at the right yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. And and basically, so if I look at that chief data officer role, which was new then in a new context with new elements coming in, where do you think that data role should sit in an organisational governance? I mean, in your book, you list some secret ingredients of a chief data officer to be successful, but I have two questions, you know, what would be the most important one of those ingredients and where should that person, he or she, sit within a governance structure of an organisation? Those are two huge questions, as you know. <laughs> I know, sorry. <laughs> you can and answer think, them one at a time, though. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, that's reflected in, in the chief data officer's playbook. We, we devote two chapters, mm. um, no, each one to each of those questions, because they are, they are huge. Let me take the first one about mm. where, the, where the chief data officer should, should sit. Who, who should they report to? Mm. And that's a question that Caroline and I have been asked. I don't know, if I had a pound note, for, sorry, I don't have pound notes anymore. If I had a five pound note, for every time I've been asked that over the last two years, you know, I'd be, be able to retire. Um, <laughs> it, it is one of those questions because mm. organisations are still struggling. I have um, search agencies contacting me to say, how should we describe this role? No, where mm. should it report into? It is mm. it's a key question. And we see them reporting in um, to CFOs, to CTOs, to CIOs, to marketing officers even. So they're all over the place. I don't think it really matters who they report into. I think there are two two really important things that do matter rather mm-hmm. than the title of who they report into. Mm-hmm. First is that that person, as what I would say, gets the joke. In other words, they truly <laughs> understand data. There's nothing worse than tipping up on your first day, meeting your new boss, being told, I haven't got a clue what you do or how you do it. Because mm-hmm. you are going to go nowhere. You will not succeed. And Gartner, mm. previously, uh, a number of years ago, predicted that 50% of the new chief data officers by 2022, I think it was, would fail. That is one of the reasons why they will fail, because mm. the person they're reporting to doesn't actually get the joke. Okay. I think the second thing is that the person they're reporting into can leverage their skills and leverage their ability. In other words, can this person get them access to the budget? Because you're yeah. not going to do any of what we do without budget. It's not all just um, fairy dust and unicorns. <laughs> it is. It requires some hard cash. Yeah. But also that they'll get you in the right place, the decision-making um, forums, to help shape the decisions about how budget, how strategy is being shaped. So I think it doesn't matter what the title is. They've got to get the joke and they've got to be able to be an accessor corridor to power. Mm. Okay, so there's an educational piece in there in terms of educating the organisation. Massively. And I think that, uh, again, you and I had a brief chat before we started the podcast about where that evolution will go, who the CDO will report to in the future. And Um, I think it's going higher up the food chain. I think that the CDO is increasingly reporting higher up the food chain. Here are some now going to market where the CDO is going to report directly to the CEO. Mm -hmm. I've heard of one where that role is expected to be the next CEO of that organisation, mm-hmm. which is and fascinating. It is um, fascinating. And, and do you think it's 
to come back to the earlier discussion, do you think it's because data and the strategic value and insight that data can bring is becoming more well-known in those circles? Or? Yes, uh-huh. yes, yeah, without a doubt. I, I think that, that people are now understanding that you can swing referendums, you can swing government elections, you can swing <laughs> customer well, behaviour, uh-huh. you can swing anything if, if you can get inside the data and use it. Mm-hmm. Your second question about the secret ingredient. We list, I think there's seven, I think we list yeah. in the first book. And we yeah. talk about, you know, you've got to be credible. You've got to be a specialist. Yeah. You've got to be able to, to <clears> at the same time, balance tactical and strategic approaches because, <clears> you know, you're going to have to put out burning fires now. But at the same time, you're going to want to build a strategic future. Yeah. The most important one for me, not a technical skill. It's not a data science skill. It's not, you know, your skills in Python or aggression mm. or neural networks. Mm. It's actually resilience. And I think that that... Mm-hmm. Any C-suite role, you have to be resilient. But I think particularly in this role at the moment, because mm-hmm. you are the new kid on the block, you are changing thinking, you're changing. Part of our job is to change culture, uh, increase the data literacy of an organization. And you will meet you'll meet many setbacks. You will meet the old guard, call them the dinosaurs if you wish. You'll meet the yeah. people who, who just don't get it however many times you tell them don't get mm-hmm. it and so you do have to be resilient and you have to be resilient for your teams as well because you're mm-hmm. onboarding some highly skilled people and you know, i look at some of my team at lng they could work anywhere they are such a sought after resources so you know we have to be resilient to protect them but also to constantly motivate them and make them feel valued and that they're on a journey to make a difference mm. and i i just want to pick up on the idea of resilience and something you said about culture because if I look at all the sort of figures on digital transformation and whether it it fails or not and McKinsey tells us that 70% fail and BCG tells us that 80% of ecosystem mm-hmm. ecosystem initiatives fail and it's essentially around the cultural piece and the people side of, of transformation and how people deal with data what do you think you know data-driven ways of working data-driven culture look very different and clearly just nominating a chief data officer is not enough what are your thoughts on that i completely agree let me unpack slightly why i think a lot of digital transformations fail and i think it's because they think of them as digital transformations and they forget the data uh-huh. um, okay. and 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 they you know, the data piece comes later on in the program they forget that they're gonna have to import their, their data from their crm and mm-hmm. it becomes too hard, and, and so they end up running two systems or you know, legacy systems lying around the place, or they don't think about the cost of the data piece, never mind building the digital piece. Mm-hmm. So I think that there is several reasons why digital transformation felt. That is one. Certainly the other is around culture. Mm-hmm. And I think you're absolutely right. And it's not it's more than just the data culture, it's the change culture. Yeah. And in the in the second book, Data Driven Business Transformation, we talk about there how, how the whole culture of change has to change. Yes. We have to think about, you know, data is a very iterative, data science is a very mm. iterative skill. It's a very iterative process and practice. Waterfall is no good. It won't yeah. work. And I'm not going to get into an argument between waterfall and agile yeah. practices yeah. <laughs> um, because they both have a place and hybrids have a place. But I think that understanding that change has to change. Digital data transformations can be um, incremental. They can be a lot faster and cheaper than they were in the past. Low-code solutions driven mm-hmm. by data science teams are one of the way forwards. And mm-hmm. we need to get our heads around that. Things mm-hmm. don't all have to be super engineered. Mm-hmm. And, and, how do and that you, comes down to culture. Yeah. And, and how do you see organizations and leaders and employees essentially dealing with that cultural change today? 
I think a lot want to embrace it, and mm. certainly uh, at Legal in general. I feel as an organisation, they really want to embrace it. Um, mm. Huge senior um, support uh, for what we're trying to do. I think that those organisations that don't embrace it are going to struggle. Because I think however much you invest in the technology, if you don't get the culture, the change piece right, mm. they will fail. I mean, they, um, as you were just quoting a minute ago, they will fail. And therefore, the, their organisations are likely to fail. So... It's really important to get that piece right. I think a lot of senior stakeholders are now realising the importance of this. Mm, because in terms of what data-driven brings to organisational processes and decision-making processes, what do you think is the, the most important part of that, of that change piece? It starts with making your change decisions based on evidence, which okay. is the data. Mm. Um, no, are more of our customers wishing to move online? Well, you have to measure that in the first place to make that call. Mm. And if the data, if the evidence, if the intelligence shows you they are, then there's your response. You build out your, your digital interaction with those customers. Mm. You can't, you shouldn't be doing that on a hunch. No. There, no. There's no excuse any longer for doing things on a hunch. You know, we mm. should try and find the, de- the data, the evidence to support our decision making. Mm. And and it, it, now it comes back to the governance piece. You've got to trust that data if you're yeah. going to make a decision. Yeah. If I look at your books more holistically as describing the data experience and the journey an organisation needs to go on to keep up with today's world, what would be the most important steps on that journey then? The most important step is the first one, is understanding where you are. What mm-hmm. is your baseline? Because I think this, this can work two ways. I think a lot of organisations may... Um, be over optimistic as to where they are with regard to their data or their mm. journey mm. and they may think oh, everything's fine no no, no. We've, <laughs> we've been doing this for a long time our spreadsheets are absolutely perfect yeah there's a red flag um, <laughs> or yeah. or they may be or they may be overly negative and the number of times you know you you talk to people in organizations that say oh we can't trust our data we mm. always have to check our data so a, a lot of that is hearsay i mean one of my first questions in that how do you know you can't trust your data Mm. No, what is the evidence to what is the data that's telling you can't trust your data so i think the first step is the most important understanding where you are what is your baseline mm. and and that is founded on the data maturity assessment which we we explain in our in our second book you've got to as objectively as possible measure your current state of data maturity because mm. you know you need to know where you are you need to dispel the myths you need to work from an objective starting point if you do that you will then understand where your areas of focus are. You know, when we talk about data, there's an awful lot to data in the data ecosystem just beyond a one or a nought or a, or a yes. set of numbers or addresses. Yeah. There's an awful lot more to it. The, the, the data ecosystem is, mm. is much larger. It involves mm. people, technologies, policies, behaviours, attitudes, funding, all sorts of things. If you take that first step and do a data maturity assessment, you know where you are now. The beauty of doing it as that first step is that as you start investing in your data and your digital, you could run that data maturity assessment again and see if you've moved the dial over time to see if your investment is actually doing the things you need it to do. Okay, so it's an iterative iterative process in itself in terms of maturity. Yeah. I mean, we could go into maturity and stay on the podcast for hours, so but I won't. <laughs> but, uh, what, what is your, your biggest learning since writing the first book? I think there's, if I can be naughty here, I think there's two. In the <laughs> first book, we, we, we refer to and we use the Gartner hype cycle. Yeah. 
Uh, and we said that as a CEO, you've got to be acutely aware of the Gartner hype cycle, that everybody will get really excited about this new CDO starting on Monday or this new director of data science is starting on Monday. And uh, by, by at least Tuesday afternoon, we'll have all our data governed and we'll have machine learning driving our operations and decision making by Friday. Now, you will get overinflated mm. expectations of what mm. this new person's or this new capability is going to do. And you will mm. then rapidly hit a trough of disillusionment. What's, what have they done? Nothing's changed. You know, things haven't, aren't happening fast enough. And so I think our first learning is around that, that that is the relationship uh, with your stakeholders, both above, alongside and beneath, mm. is far more complex than that, far yes. more complex. Mm-hmm. And we, in the, the book that you referred to, the second edition, which is being published in December, we unpack mm. that, that hype cycle a lot more from our point of view as data professionals. And we talk mm. about um, the plateau of enlightenment and things like that. So that's the first okay. thing that, that okay. I've learned is, is that, that that stakeholder management is way more complex and has different features to it. And there's more to watch out for. It's not just beware the trough will get a ladder to get over it. It's more yeah. complex than that. Yeah. Okay. The second thing is that I have personal is communications. I think that I've underplayed the importance of feeding back to the organisation the things that are going on, the things that are going to go on, and the successes that have been achieved so far. Because I mm. think if you're going to shift, you're going to shift the culture. You yeah. need to be communicating to the organisation of what is going to happen, what has happened, and what has been successful. And I had you know, one of my bosses in the past saying, "You know, you guys are doing great stuff, but nobody knows about it." Yeah. And I, I was playing the line at the time was. It's not our job to look great. It's our job to make other people look great. And he said, no, you need (laughs) to talk about what you're doing because you need them on board and supporting you and saying, this is a great team. They're doing great things for us. So I think communications, in my role uh, at Legal in General, uh, I've also been uh, in the role of Chief Data Officer of the investment management business. Mm. And we actually, in our data program there, we actually had a communications team. And we felt it was really important we communicated to the business what it was we're doing. And a really good example is as part of our data governance program within the strategy, we felt we wanted to communicate and educate the organisation about what data governance is, Mm. what value it would bring, what Mm. it would mean to them, what impact it would have on them. And without that comms program, I don't think we'd have been as successful. That's really interesting in terms of the change piece. So, you know, the iteration also of people involvement, and understanding and education and, and taking the people with you on essentially the company's journey through data. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, t- time is running. I've got one last question. W- what would be your last piece of advice for organizations looking to either start or more so scale this journey of becoming more data driven? I've got one answer there. Uh, but I think it comes in, in two flavours. The okay. first is, uh, I think it's getting faster. It is mm-hmm. getting faster. So if you split any vertical or any sector or the whole of the UK or the whole of the world into the leaders, mm-hmm. the followers and the laggers, mm-hmm. I think the gap between the leaders and the followers is getting bigger. Okay. And I think that organisations have to decide if they're going to get to the front of the following pack or if they're going to fall further and further behind quicker and quicker. 
that's my first thing. I think the second thing is, is that wrapped into that, I think we're at a really pivotal moment. I think that now data is at that pivotal moment where people realize it's really important. Mm -hmm. It's really important that we understand our data, that we keep it safe, and that we really leverage the value that sits in it. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I think the chief data officer role is at a pivotal moment as well. I mm -hmm. think that um, we need to, regardless of how that role changes, I think it's for us as professionals, we need to step forward and be brave and say we can help. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming and sharing Pleasure. your thoughts with us and the insights from your book and from your second book, which will be out in December. Where can people find out more about you or get in touch with you? The books are available on Amazon. You can pre-order <laughs> the second book now on Amazon. If anybody would like to, to, to contact me, you can either do that through LinkedIn or you can email me at peter.jackson at carothersandjackson.com. But LinkedIn's a really good way. Okay, excellent. Thank you. Thank you, Peter, once again. Pleasure. We, Thank you very we much. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if so, please head over to iTunes and give us your opinion and review. So it's bye from me for now and see you soon for the next episode of Let's Talk. <laughs>